as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Exclusive interview, and this time it is J.R. Bookwalter. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm fine, Cam. How are you? Thanks for having me. J.R. Bookwalter. So, everyone, you, I just know you guys have heard those names. If you haven't heard of <laughs> Kevin J. Lindemoth or David DeCantel, Fred Ellen Ray, Joe Norsky, you've, you've heard Lindemoth. So, you're in the wrong place if you haven't heard of those names. <laughs> so getting a boost thanks to sam raimi on the dead next door you might also know him for ozone robot ninja and which house one and two was it's just been a long time vhs era director producer and just all around just very cool guy so well yeah yeah it's been a good big keeping busy over the years i guess <laughs> yes. Um, so um, I see that you still are just a constantly just you got your blog and Twitter feed just constantly blowing up. Uh, I saw that the movie you produce uh, Bloodletting is getting some kind of restoration. Um, yeah, just we, that's the one project I just finished was restoring that from the original camera masters and now it's out on Blu-ray, which is, I would have never in a million years thought would have happened, you know. 25 years ago when it was made, but here we are. Yeah. Uh, basically, the Blu-ray companies have figured out, you know, take away all the video store uh, favorites of some kind and give them a higher def release and, you know, to cash in on it, you add special features and other exclusives. There's a way to personalize it for everyone's liking and conventions. Um, uh, uh, what what just going back to that a little bit, just backtracking, uh, which of your movies do you think you just got the most like attention for? Well, I mean, The Dead Next Door, for sure. I mean, just A, because it was, you know, the Sam Raimi uh, mystery involvement, and that was my first feature. You know, I made it at a young age. It was shot on Super 8. Uh, Bruce Campbell did a couple of voices, and I mean, that, that one by far is, is, you know, if you don't know, but it's funny because I say that, but then I think at the same time, there's different crowds that know me for different things, I guess. And I guess, you know, some, like there's Full Moon fans that know me because I did two of the Witch House sequels. And, you know, there's 
the you know shot on video crowd that knows me from making those movies and then you know the, i guess everybody else would probably know me from from dead next door you know the, the zombie fans and the you know the cl- the sort of more classic uh gore movie fans so i've done you know i have my fingers in a little bit of everything but i'd say dead next door is the one that uh that most people would remember just because a lot of people of a certain age you know saw that uh artwork with the, the you know the muzzle on the zombie's face on the on the video store shelf back in the vhs days and i hear that from a, so many people at conventions and things that oh my gosh i remember i was I, so i was a kid and i saw that on the shelf and scared me so much and it's like no that's cool that people remember it so well no that's that's so true because you were at that point embracing what VHS era often was, you know, if you just could not get ticket sales, then you embraced the video store shelf and private festival screenings and, and you embraced everything that you could. And I, uh, you, you, you definitely were there in terms of have the poster be as big a star as the movie itself. You know? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I kind of missed the boat on the drive-in era, you know, by the time I started making movies um, that was, that was waning or over. And I really, for, to a large degree, you know, Dead Next Door was started in 1985, but didn't actually get finished until 1989. And it was another year, 1990, before it ever saw the light of day. And by that point, I think even the the home video thing was kind of on the decline. So it, it was, mm-hmm. it's funny that it wound up in so many, it was really a grassroots thing that it was in video stores at all. Um, because it, you know, it was distributed. The company that originally distributed was kind of outside of the, the main, what would be called the mainstream. Um, so just the fact that it got out at all is, is sort of a miracle because it was really on that cusp of where the home video business was kind of starting to, you know, go in the toilet a little bit too. Yeah. I mean, not, nothing compared to what it is now. You know, where you <laughs> there are no video stores, of course, but you know, or very right. few. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, unlike people like Dave Dakota and Fred Olin Ray, you know, those guys really got to surf on that, you know, market, right? They they hit it right at the right time where there was just nothing but money to be made. By the time I got to it, it was like scraps. You know, there, was, there wasn't much left, but I managed to eke out a, a career over, you know, 35 plus years or whatever anyways, despite that. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a feat. Um, and so it helped that, again, you're just working with all kinds of independent filmmakers and every, you're just becoming a star in your own right. Everyone's like, yeah, go to Bookwalter. He knows something. You know? <laughs> um, well, to me, it was kind of like, you know, I, I was, had the good fortune of, of meeting Sam Raimi and, and he got behind my first movie. I mean, I, my, when I first approached him, I was just trying to be a production assistant on Evil Dead 2. That was my goal. And he was the one that sort of said, you know, looked at my some of my short films and said, you know, well, you should be making a feature. Why don't you go make a feature? And I was like, oh, well, I hadn't really thought about that. I've done tons of short films. But, um, you know, so I think it, to me, it was just kind of a way to pay it forward. I tried to, you know, I, I obviously did not have the, the money and the, the pull that Sam had, but I was able to at least help people as much as, you know, as, a, as possible over the years to get their start as well. So I like to pay it forward, I guess. <laughs> right and they thank you for it hopefully <laughs> yeah i um, think so <laughs> so uh just out of the various names you've worked with matthew jason walls david a wagner uh brett kelly john tracy 
uh, Neil Marshall Stevens. Uh, do you have any particular favorites that just like just if they were just call you, ring your phone right now, you just would instantly say yes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, they were all such different experiences. Like, I mean, Matthew Jason Walsh comes to mind just because, uh, you know, I, I, we're now have this bloodletting Blu-ray and he wrote and directed that wrote and directed and produced that movie, you know, for, for my label back in the day. And we had had a long uh, history prior to that of, of you know he had written scripts for me and had acted in some stuff and he he kind of got to be uh, a whiz behind the scenes you know doing music scores for a lot of the movies and, and even visual effects and things like that so he was one of those go-to guys you know there was a handful of people at the time um so he would probably stick out you know as, as one of those guys for sure uh, dave wagner unfortunately passed away about a year and a half ago but he was another one of yeah, he was another one of those guys that was was always there. You know, he when he 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 came to me with the script for Ozone, um, with the intention of he wanted to make the movie and wanted me to to get involved in in helping him. And I read the script um, on the way out to a, a convention in Los Angeles, a road trip that I was taking, and and fell in love with the script. And I came back and I said you know, let me make this, I want to make this thing. And you, you know, we can work on it together. And he actually was, I think, relieved because it was kind of a monumental thing on his shoulders that he wasn't sure if he could take on, but he got to do it, you know, and live vicariously through, you know, through me and, and making the movie. So, I mean, we, and we did many other things together. Uh, he shot uh, bloodletting and, and uh, worked on the crew of Polymorph, you know, co-produced that movie. So, we we did a number of things together over the years, but yeah, it's nice to have. It's nice to work. I like to work with the same people as much as I possibly can. Um, you know, it's, it, until you until they get burned out or you get burned out, I guess <laughs> either one. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a neat way to do it. Totally. Um, and you know, you cut up so many trailers and promotional material. Did you just? Uh, oh. Did, were you already doing a lot of that like during college or were you just no in fact it was that was really started um i would just do odd jobs in between movies you know because the thing is you especially at this level you know you're making stuff for so cheap you're not earning enough money to to make that your first job so you have you learn you know i learned very early on that you know like i had skills in post-production and editing and things like that that other producers would be interested in um so i was able to, to sort of parlay that into working you know doing work for other people um, you're never not editing or helping out or doing second unit directing or <laughs> well I mean, the thing is if you want if you want to survive you got to stay busy and you know yeah. say, i can't i can't I, there's been various points throughout the years where maybe i was able to survive on you know like when i was working for full moon i worked for them for five years and that that started as a post-production gig and eventually led into to making a bunch of movies for them and and you know that was very good money com comparable to what i had done before but um you know when there's not money involved or you know you're trying to to do your own stuff then you're kind of working for other people just to you know to keep the bills paid and keep the uh bill collectors away from the door and <laughs> whatever you have to do mm -hmm. um, you know and you're still in the you're still working in the you know rather than go and sling pizzas or drive pizzas around or, or you know now they i guess DoorDash and things like that but rather than do that i figured well i might as well you know stay within the the realm of what i'm trying to do or i've i've always tried to do that i mean you know 
It's not like I've never had a, a day job here and there as, as over the years, but thankfully I've, you know, been able to make a living mostly working in the, you know, the movie stuff. And uh, by all means. Uh, so w w when was your first convention? Seems like you've oh just my been gosh. very um, active. You know, it actually was probably in the early 90s, and it, it started because um, there's a, a big convention in New Jersey that's still going on called Chiller Theater. The guy who ran that show um, had another show, which I can't remember the name of, before Chiller Theater, and Dave Dakota had been invited out as a guest, so he decided to come to the show, but they had given him a table, but he didn't want, the, he didn't want to work the table, so he said, you know, if you want to come out, you can have the table and you can sell our, you know, the tapes that we were doing and stuff like that at the time. So I think that had to have been probably 91 or 92, maybe. I don't I was know. Maybe. Of them. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah. And so that really kind of jump started that. Um, and then I started, then I started to figure out, oh, there's these conventions all over the country. And back in the day, Fangoria had one of the biggest, you know, shows weekend of horrors and you could, you know, you could buy a table and go and throw all your tapes on it and, lo and behold people would buy them you know so that became it became a sort of conduit to you know have more con direct contact with uh, the people who instead you know the collectors who instead of just renting they were actually buying the stuff and that led into you know having a mail order business and then have you know doing big mass mailings of a, of a little newsletter that i did and you know which ultimately sort of snowballed into a full magazine that we were doing and then it had ads inside the magazine to sell the videos so and it's yeah. not so different you know it's not so different now now i've parlayed that all of that experience into uh, this make flick service that i'm doing and and that's basically you know my full-time gig at this point is just running that and it's it's much the same thing it's just the only difference is we're you know mostly selling blu-rays and uh, it's not just my stuff. I've involved other filmmakers' labels as well. So, very cool. So, yeah. and you know, uh, like li like you said, you were going, you know, uh, shifting right through the Fangoria era, where you know that was free publicity for everyone and fandom overnight. And uh, more or less, would you say that this just gave you a good idea of how to be just kept reminding you, hey, you're, you're your own businessman. You are your own, you know, your career is in your very hands, you know? Well, that's the thing. At this level, you know, if you want to make movies, you kind of have to be a businessman or make a business out of it. I mean, you know, I think a lot, a lot of filmmakers don't have that, you know, don't have that in them. They just want to make the movie and then, you know, not deal with it. But with me, it was, it was, a about creative control b about you know controlling your destiny and your financial future and whatever i mean it was there were many reasons why i wanted to do it i was just consider myself a pretty resourceful person and it was part of my survival tactic i guess was to to make a business out of it i mean it's led me down some paths where i didn't necessarily want to go you know for a long time i was just a distributor and i you know i had set that up with the intention of making movies that i could then have an outlet to to sell them and what really happened is then I wound up just selling other people's stuff and never having the opportunity to, to make the movies that I wanted to make because it's, you know, that's a lot of work and you can't just establish the business and then go off for a few months, make a movie and then come back and pick up where you left off. It doesn't really work that way. So, um, you know, so it wasn't always 
uh, wine and roses, certainly, but um, I just, I kind of like, I like working for myself. I don't, you know, I've, I've worked for other people plenty over the years, but I prefer to, to do my own thing and be in control of my own destiny. And, you know, that's what uh, being, the, taking, the, embracing the business side of it allowed me to do that, I guess. You know, it's just, even though you have to learn it as you go, because I didn't, I just certainly didn't have a business background. You know, I just, I wanted to make movies. That was my thing when I was young, but. For sure. Well, and I saw that you had worked on some other music videos and other thing, among other things, but uh, whatever happened to when Full Moon was developing The Mummy Reborn, it seemed like that was just one other movie you were developing and it just never took off. Yeah, I guess what happened, they had done two before that. Uh, one was Werewolf Reborn, uh, which Jeff Burr directed, which was pretty neat. That was sort of established that series. He was going to remake, you know, all the classic monsters. And then um, Dave Dakota had done Frankenstein Reborn, which I was basically hired to edit. And then ultimately got so busy at Full Moon that I had to hire a couple of guys that were working with me to, to finish the edit because I couldn't even have time to do it. So Mummy Reborn was supposed to be the third part of that and we had a script ready to go we had conceptual sketches you know we were it was it was getting close to to being made and then I think what happened was Charlie had released the first two and was kind of Charlie Band I mean was looking at the the numbers of the first two and just decided he didn't want to continue that series because they didn't you know they never did go back and, and make any more of them so mm -hmm. I think that that was kind of abandoned and then he um was like, well, what else can we do? Let's do, you know, because those were those were shorter. They were like forty-five minutes or something. They weren't full features, but um, that ultimately led into to me directing Witch House Two for him, and then, you know, that sort of snowballed into producing a bunch of other features for him as well. Okay, well, that's very enlightening. Sorry, it didn't work out, but hey. Yeah, still. yeah, that would have been a five. Oh, I'm I've been a big fan of mummies. That's one of my favorite, you know, classic monsters. So I was really excited to do that. I was, I was disappointed when it didn't pan out. But of course, you know, the consolation prize was, oh, well, you're going to make a movie anyway. So it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that's fine. Maybe someday they'll drag the script out and do it. I don't know. <laughs> so, you've always been have have Romero and uh, just John A. Russo fans kind of kept uh, discovered you as well because of your loose connections with them? Yeah, I mean, the well, the Romero connection, obviously the Dead Next Door was, uh, you know, as, as literal of a love letter to oh, Romero's totally. yeah. zombie films as you can get. I mean, it was, you know, I think it, I think it, you know, I know some people maybe don't like all the, the self-referential stuff where it's, you know, the characters named after horror movie filmmakers or things like that. But I think a lot of people just connected with it because it's, it's obviously not a Romero movie, but it's probably one of the closer things you can get to that sort of genre compared to like, you know, the Italian zombie movies or whatever. Those are, they're certainly their own animal, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that, you know, and, and Romero himself, uh, I managed to give him a copy of the movie at, uh, at some point and he, you know, really was found it, quite endearing and liked it quite a bit um, and that came about because I had met John Russo at um, a convention I would think we were had he had the table next to me it was a Fangoria show as a matter of fact and I started to get associated with him and then we, he and I did some work together we did uh, a documentary on Night of the Living Dead for the 25th anniversary which has since been 
remastered and re-released on blu-ray it's called reflections on the living dead now but um uh, so we did a bunch of stuff together i distributed some of his movies you know this was back still in the vhs day so nice. so yeah i mean the pittsburgh's only a couple hours from me so that was uh very influential to you know have been raised in in the area that i was and knowing that that stuff was going on so close to me um, and I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh out of high school, you know, to, for college. I was an extra in Day of the Dead during that time. So I, I Pittsburgh always has always been like a second home for me. So to to have any association with those guys was uh, pretty cool. That's a great blessing. And did you feel like a lot of your internet interviews kind of kept your fandom alive? Um, well, I mean, before the internet, it was print, and I I have two or three big boxes of like it, it's amazing how much press these movies used to get in in all the different fanzines you had like draculina magazine and film threat video guide and you know all this stuff from from yeah, years ago just digital yeah yeah i mean it's all that's the thing it's like funny because when people do something now like they'll interview me or whatever and then it's usually up the next day or within a couple of days or whatever and i'm like boy, i remember the days when you would do like a magazine interview and it would be literally months before you would get a copy of that magazine you know it's, it's just funny how everything is so immediate now but yeah i mean it you know that the internet has been a great sort of equalizer in in that regard because it's just um it makes it that much easier for people to find these smaller movies you know um so i mean in that regard it's it's been great stellar even though it's not always been positive you know i mean people there's certainly people have uh, I, i've in the past read many negative reviews of my movies probably thankfully more positive than negative but uh you know the, it's made everybody a critic of course yeah you go on the imdb look up any movie uh you know somebody's got something to say about any movie you know what i mean and and there's plenty of haters that hate even you know the best movies so yep. yeah i eventually just somewhere along the, the line literally just got too busy to i used to read them all the good bad or indifferent and now i just don't pay any attention to it at all I, and it's not because i'm i've certainly have thick i've built up thick skin over the years so regardless of you know, even a bad review i'm just like i shrug my shoulders walk away it's like you know what can i do i did what i did that's it but i, I don't even have time to read most of it anymore because it's just you know there's so much out there and you know, I'll, I'll run across, if I run across something or whatever, there's a lot, I have a lot of, ironically, uh, podcasts, you know, there's guys that, that always, you know, talk about my movies on different podcasts and stuff. Yeah. And those are fun to listen to when I, when I can, but I, I, you know, sometimes I forget about them or whatever, and then I stumble across them months later. So it's just, I mean, it's nice that there's so many people talking about this stuff after so many years you know some of these movies are, are pushing you know 40 years old at this point so yeah it's pretty pretty amazing yeah and i've seen some people refer to zombie cop and even ozone as just fun underrated indie zombie films so i mean i i, I yeah, think i think i think most people get it you know i mean it's just yeah. it's i think the movie's are actually treated better now than they were at the time of release. I mean, Ozone maybe is an exception because Ozone, right out of the gate, people seem to gravitate towards just because it was shot on video, but it was so unique to that, you know, to, to compared to what everything else that was being made. And it seemed to inspire a lot of other, you know, people who were picking up a camcorder to 
it was sort of like a pushing everybody to do a little bit better. It's like, yeah, we can, you know, we can make these things look, look be better and feel bigger and, you know, make them more cinematic. You know, it does just because it's shot on video doesn't mean it has to be like a soap opera. And so, didn't that get seen in a few theaters, like limited, limited um, screen? Well, we premiered that movie actually before it was completely finished. I was mostly done, but it premiered at a convention called Zombie Jamboree that um, was the 25th, uh, anniversary of Night of the Living Dead. It was the first time all those people were back, were together. Romero, Russo, Russ Streiner, all those guys. But it was, it was a huge convention. I mean, it was this was in 1993, and um, they screened it there. And it's funny because I go to conventions, you know, now these days, and you screen something, you're lucky if you get 50 people in there watching, or you know, or less. But that was like literally like packed house. There was standing room only. I mean, they had there must have been three or four or 500 people in there probably. I mean, it's, it's, you just don't see that anymore at, no. at conventions. You know, most people don't want to sit down at a convention. They're afraid they're going to miss something or whatever, but that show, for whatever reason, we screened ozone. Everybody was there. And uh, I mean, not everybody, but you know, the, the, it was packed and uh, the response was very good. So that, that made me think, okay, well, we're on to something here. So. And, have you ever even been recognized like at a video store or did your movies get any kind of fanfare on cable TV? <laughs> um, I actually was, I was personally recognized a couple of years ago in a Walmart, believe it or not, like some guy, <laughs> I'm like just shopping with my family and this guy comes up to me. He's like, are, are you GR Bookwalter? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was going to get a subpoena or something, but here he was a right. guy that was a fan of the stuff. And we just happened to, shop in the same store which is cool you know i mean it was funny but um you know i've been to a bunch of different places I, about three years ago uh in the new york new jersey area we did a bunch of screenings of dead next door and robot ninja and there was a pretty good turnout for those i mean you know the stuff i i work with this company agfa who does a theatrical distribution for a, um, a lot of different labels but they have all of my stuff as well so i don't even know until afterwards like i'll you know get a check or whatever and it'll say oh robot ninja screened here and here's your you know fee for it i'm like oh i i had no idea you know it's it's funny that the stuff plays and you just don't even know where it's playing we had a, there was a screening i think it was the um oh gosh i'm drawing a blank now alamo draft house did a screening of ozone um in virginia somewhere but pat and oswald showed up to to host the night and nice. I wish I I wish I had video of it because apparently everybody just had a blast and he was you know came up with some very witty comments about the movie and stuff but it was kind of funny I was like wow that's that's very cool I didn't know about it literally until people were posting on Instagram and and Facebook and stuff about it that night I was like wow that's neat that is cool so uh would you also say that uh because of these various associations and this various screenings that uh, in many ways, you're just kind of just become an unofficial legend because of that. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know about that, but um, I, you know, I think it's just because you, if you, I always believe Roger Corman was a legend. I'm not comparing myself to Roger Corman. I'm just using it as an example. Roger Corman is a legend strictly because he survived so long. You know, and the, and the same could be true of Fred Olin Ray, Dave Dakota. I mean, there's many, many of these guys that, you know, you just, they found a way to, to sort of 
stay within the the system and and continue to do stuff. And I, I guess by that definition, I I I suppose I fit into that parameter. But I don't personally, you know, I was started as a fan of this stuff, and I would make my little short films and stuff in dedication to the things that I liked. And so for me, it you know. It's hard for me to go. Yes, so I'm a living legend. You know, it's it just does. It's an ill-fitting thing for me. But, uh, but I, you know, I have stuck it out for all these years. So I guess you know that says something. <laughs> totally. Well, uh, have you ever uh, speaking of conventions? Have you done Texas Frightmare, Dragon Con, or some of those other? I have not done those. Um, I've done, I have done, there was a Fangoria show years ago in, in Texas that I did. I mean, so it's not like I haven't been to those areas before, but um, you know, I haven't done Texas Frightmare. I don't know why. I just, um, I, I mostly stick to the East coast, I guess. Uh, I'm supposed to be doing a show in somewhere in Florida um, in May. And then I've got, um, oh no, I'm sorry, June, June. And um, so I have, you know, I have regular shows that I do cinema wasteland in Strongsville, Ohio. That'll be in, in that's a twice a year in May and October that I do. I, I just mostly stick to that. I don't, I'm not so big on traveling, you know, unless I, when I was younger, I did it all the time. I would literally drive cross country, you know, to go to shows or, you know, from both ends of the country or whatever. So um, it's not that I wouldn't do them. I just, I guess nobody's offered and I've never, you know, never thought about doing it, I guess. So. Oh, good. Uh, have you got I'm any? Open, open to much, most anything. So. Okay. Cool. Uh, have you got any invites from just other people like Elvira or Joe Bob? No, not not yet. They haven't come knocking on my door. I think they're still working their way through all the 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 higher echelon horror movies. <laughs> yeah. There's been some discussion uh, over the years about. Uh, every once in a while, I'll have some. Uh, like sales agents come knocking looking for stuff for like to, to be rift like rift tracks and that kind of stuff where they're oh, really <laughs> so they'll they'll take a look at the catalog it's like you know i think robot ninja was the last one that was sort of even being considered but didn't didn't come to pass but you know that would have been funny you know That's just wild. to say just to say you did it man uh and you've restored a bunch of other you know, movies, especially Tourist Trap, which was an Empire Pictures favorite back in the day. Um, what are some other special features that you're proud of, aside from, obviously, you know, when The Dead Next Door got its Anchor Bay DVD release? Have you done some other ones that you look back on fondly? And I think the the, the proudest one <laughs> for me is is Robot Ninja, which is a movie that is, if you either love it or hate it, it's, it's it was vilified completely when it first came out in late 1989 and it, the post-production on it was just completely an abomination it just was a lot of it was taken out of my hands and finished out in LA and not done you know as to my liking I guess let's say so I spent a lot of years sort of neglecting that movie and ignoring its existence and, and mocking it at every turn so when I finally got access to the original cut negative and was able to restore it um we did a lot of, but there's in particular, there's a, one of the extras on the Blu-ray that talks about how the, you know, the history of how the movie, what happened to the movie in the late eighties and, and how it, you know, we wound up finding the negative and restoring it. And it, I mean, it, the transfer looks amazing and it's, it, it I was able to do a complete 5.1 surround, you know, rebuild and remix. So the audio is like top notch and it just was, it was sort of a nice, um, 
closure, I guess, for that movie after so many years of, you know, I mean, it has its fans. There's there's a group in Germany that loves that movie that that have done screenings of it and stuff. And it's it's not like the the movie, you know, is not uh, loved at all. It's just the VHS crowd really goes nuts for that movie for some reason because they remember, I guess, that box cover. You know, going back to when you first discover <laughs> it. But um, but but you know, being able to restore it back to what I knew it was or was hoping that it could be. Um, that was very gratifying. So that that would be the one I guess I would hold up out of all all those restorations. Re- release the uh, <laughs> JW cut of yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> very cool, very cool. And have you ever been asked to speak at like just some film festivals or just you know my a lot of my stuff I, I've had. I've sort of skirted with film festivals now and again, and not very well-known ones. There, there was a years ago, Ozone screened at a, the Chicago Underground Film Festival, and I, I went to that. Um, and there was a film festival in Ottawa, Canada, that you know played Dead Next Door, and you know did a little song and dance before that. Um, it's funny because you know back in the days, you you just had a video projector and you know there really was no theatrical for these movies they were being made direct to video they were being finished on standard definition video but since we've been restoring them and now they're in hd and you know you can actually like you know most theaters now have digital projection that is far better than you know just a regular projector so you can actually like have screenings now and and as a result over the last five or six years i have been going to a lot of different you know there's some theaters here in the area that have done it there's one coming up um in akron i think in may that they're doing their whole friday night it's a friday the 13th screening of dead next door where i'm going to do a q a for it so it's really cool to, to be able to to do that kind of stuff now after you know so many years people still want to come and sit in a theater and see what they can see on, at home you know yeah so it's you know it's neat that people still want to have that theatrical experience i guess because you know these movies didn't have that opportunity back in the day so for them it's you know a new experience totally uh were any of your films ever shown on showtime or usa up all night uh, you know, the only one that was ever on, sh- no, nothing on USA Up All Night, um, although I worked on some movies that did, but um, the only one that hit Showtime was a documentary that I produced that was written and directed by Jason Paul Collum called Something to Scream About. And, and it's Brink Stevens uh, talking to, I think it was like 10 different, uh, you know, Scream Queen type actresses. We had Julie Strain and uh, Denise Duff from the subspecies movies and people like that and, and uh, that actually played I think about two years on Showtime which was pretty cool you know that that, yeah. that one got on there but none of the features um, you know of course now that's not even a like a big deal yeah you know most people most people find I, I can't tell you how many people have found the Dead Next Door and Robot Ninja recently because you know, in Skinned Alive because they're on Tubi you know Tubi yeah. a lot of people are tuning in there um, or other streaming services, or there's a billion of these Roku channels, and a lot of the stuff's on there. I guarantee but, you, Robot Ninja was definitely on Prime. It's just anything on DVD. Oh yeah, yeah. Can... I mean, Amazon Prime was sort of the start of that, but now it's it's just gone on to all these other services. So yeah, I mean, it's it's just amazing. It's amazing that any, to me that anybody finds the stuff when there's so much to watch. Because when I have a huge 
digital collection and I, you know, I, I frequent a lot of the, the services, HBO Max and all these kind of things I have, you know, subscriptions to. But just to, for me to sit down and try and find something to watch, I'll spend 45 minutes before I find anything. And then I usually wind up going to my Blu-ray shelf and just pulling out something I've seen a thousand times and watch, yeah, that, watch that instead because I'm just so frustrated. So the fact that anybody is finding any of these movies to me is, is kind of a small miracle. People want to navigate and just, you know. Uh, yeah, because I, I think a lot of people are watching it for the first time, you know, just like, oh, what's this? You know, they're just going off that thumbnail art. You know, they're not really getting, you know, back in my day, we had, you know, one sheet posters that were hanging up and you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to see this. Now it's this little postage stamp size graphic and that people are, you know, watching it on their phones or their tablets or whatever. So. You know, it's it's great for the discovering the movies. It's it's just it's created. I mean, the audience for this stuff is much is bigger now than it than it ever was in the the video store days. Even yeah, it's a second and in some ways third or fourth coming. And like like you say, I mean, there's I've noticed a surge in people who want to find long lost movies or other just cult hits. And I mean, for all the clickbait sites, there's still plenty of them which are you know top 10 you know independent movies and all this stuff like that and so there's always going to be some kind of obscure or underseen kind of movie that gets some kind of fan base just because you know one person took five minutes to read some list that someone had compiled you know? right that's it yeah exactly and, and as long as you know as long as people are still doing that that's great because that's been always my fear over the years is you know, as you get the younger generation, you know, maybe they have less film appreciation, you know, than, than my generation did, you know, because in my generation, we collected everything we could, posters and toys and comic books and anything that was related to the movies. And, and a lot of the younger crowd, it's like everything's digital. So you're not really, you don't have that physical contact with anything. But that said, there are those who didn't get to experience that who are experiencing it now there's vhs collectors there's blu-ray collectors there's you know the, the people that love vinyl and you know all that kind of stuff so it's pretty cool that 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 stuff exists now totally uh more or less uh are there any films that uh, has anyone ever even asked you this uh, what films just inspired you to begin with that just you, you would be delighted to even host a convention panel for they meet they have um, such a huge place in your heart yeah i mean you know the the first movie that that had a dramatic influence well i mean if i go back to my child childhood um my mother used to watch dark shadows when i after i was born and so i blame her for the fact that i'm into the horror stuff but you know growing up i watched godzilla movies and you know all these late night kind of movies like equinox and things like that and but you know the first one that really sort of just like leapt off the screen and and grabbed my throat was probably star wars of course because i was 11 i was at the perfect age for that movie to to and, and i'm of course referring to the original star wars not all the stuff that came after it but um but mm -hmm. as far as horror goes, it would be Dawn of the Dead because, and, and that one was, I had gotten the first issue of Fangoria magazine and they had an article on Tom Savini with all these color, graphic color shots of, you know, the, the, the zombie's head being blown off its shoulder and the bite marks and all this stuff. And that just unleashed something in me that I, that I was making like little short films and they were all kind of science fiction-y at that point. 
And once I saw that, then it was like everything was about how much ketchup can I spray on the neighbor kids and the you know my pets and just whatever. It was all like slasher movies kind of stuff and and lots oh, of wow. blood and guts and zombies and all that kind of stuff. So Dawn of the Dead remains to the, to this day my all time favorite horror movie. Um, and and certainly the one of the things that influenced me the most, I guess. And I of course I have to bookend that by saying I'm referring to George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, not the not the one that, that probably more people have seen at this point, the, the remake. Not, which was fine actually. The remake I not don't mean to disparage the remake, but I of course refer to the original. Those zombie fans, they can be more temperamental sometimes. But yeah, no, I know what yeah, you mean. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, more or less, uh, have you been tempted to kind of pick Charlie Brand Band's uh, brain a few more times to see if you can help out with his streaming site? Or <laughs> no, he, I mean, I had my, I, like I said, I worked for Charlie for about five years and uh, and chose to sort of walk away from that. Um, just because I wanted to get back to doing my own thing. I was kind of doing my own thing even when I was working for him. I was starting my Tempe DVD label. Um, you know, I, I just can't, I, I'm never one of those people that even if I'm working for somebody else, I can't just do that. I have to always be doing something else on the side. Got to have a side hustle, I guess. Um, so, you know, I think I've reached a point now where I don't have time to do anything for anybody. If Even if I wanted to, I'm, you know, this make flicks operation is kind of consuming all of my available waking moments. So I don't think uh, I haven't worked for, cause I've done a lot of oddball things over the years. I, I I'm very proficient with uh, Apple products, you know, the phones, computers, all this stuff. I've reviewed things for different magazines and I had to give all that up last year because I just, I just don't have time uh, anymore to, to, to do the, the side work. I guess maybe I've gotten older and, you know, family's more important and things like that. But, um, but thankfully also, you know, the, what I'm, the, my main thing that I'm doing is, is paying my bills and that's, you know, that's good. So. Okay. Well, very sweet. Are you active on the letterbox community? I'm on there and I, I mostly, I don't write reviews per se, cause I just never have time. I just use it to sort of log my movies so that I remember what I watched because I'm at that age I'm 55 now that sometimes I forget and I'll start a movie and I'll be like wait a minute we've already I've already seen this <laughs> and then I'll look back at letterbox and go oh yeah and uh, this October 15th you know whatever year uh, that I did watch this movie so now I can at least log I keep a log that's what it's for for me so so I, I won't say I'm active but I'm but I am on there so very sweet very sweet so thank you ever so much for doing the time to do this. And hey, no problem. I, I hope, again, you know, with these Tubi streams, you're continually just getting some press. <laughs> yeah, as long as, you know, as long as that whole, that outlet holds up, it seems like every couple of years there's something new, you know, like it was Netflix and then it was Amazon Prime and now it's Tubi. I don't know what it'll be after that. It just seems like, you know, the audience shifts from one Anything thing Anything filmed on a phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So... You know, hope, I hopefully we'll be in the right place, uh, you know, to, to remain for the stuff to remain out there. And I try to keep it so that n nothing goes out of print forever, or, you know, nothing disappears forever so that the stuff will remain accessible to to those who want to see it. Totally, totally. So. All righty. Well, 
you be safe out there in post-COVID state. And thanks ever so much for this uh, inspiring talk. No problem, you too, and thanks for having me. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey, everybody. I'm Corey, and I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot, holes of gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy at eilfm.podbean.com.
We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up review show. It's a jacked up review show. Jacked up review show. Show!